How'd you come yeah. up with the name, Alani, of the band? Which, for Weapon of Choice? Yeah. Okay, that goes back to uh, South Central. Like, I used to carry this bass, this bass around in a, uh, it, it, you know, the case, it looks like it, it looks like it could be a shotgun case or, or whatever, but I'm in South Central, you know, and I, I used to walk around to the bus, you know, wherever, you know, I never got, I never got messed with by anybody, you know, except for one time, I almost uh, got ambushed with uh, people with guns, um, but but one of them called called the other one off, you know, and I found I didn't find out till recently actually that like the the, the gangsters uh, in the in the neighborhood, like Tookie. And uh, they they were like looking out for us, you know. That's why I didn't get messed with. Hmm. It's because they were they were looking out for us. But uh, you know, so uh, where was I? Okay, so oh yeah, so I'm carrying my my base to the bus stop, and I'll get pulled I'll get pulled over at the bus stop by the police, you know, and because they thought it was a shotgun. I get you know I get I'd have guns drawn. I one time I got in my friend's uh, uh, SUV and we took off and there was a plane like a planes like a uh, like a planes closed officer or something behind you know but he, but they were following. They were following us the whole way you know they were right behind us. I'm telling my friend who's driving I was like you're Somebody's following you, man. And he's like, man, be quiet. You don't know what you're talking about. And so, like, uh, we get down a couple miles, and, and there's, like, helicopters and, like, motorcycle. They, you know, like, we had guns. You know, I had guns drawn on me, you know. Well, what's in your case? You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, it's a base. They're like, why don't you tell, you know, why don't you tell us that? You know, what am I going to do, like? This is a base, ain't like pointing it out the window as I go by, you know, this is a base. But anyway, that's where the, to answer your question, that's where the name came from is because they, uh, one other time I'll tell you that's pretty, pretty funny is uh, me and my brother, I used to take my brother to the, uh, the Viper, which, which is now the Viper Room. It used to be the Central. That's where the jams were, you know, that's where we... He really, that's where I really met a lot of people is from jamming, you know, going to the jams and playing. And so I used to bring my brother from South Central to Hollywood to the Central where they had jam night and everybody was older than us, you know, and we were the only ones playing like funk or groove 
oriented. Everybody else was playing blues and solo and, you know, harmonica. Um, Mitch Mitchell used to come there, and uh, David Cloverdale, <laughs> Cloverdale, you know who he is? <laughs> White Snake. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he used to come there. I jammed with both, both of them there. But, uh, yeah, so one time we were, uh, we were leaving there, and I had a boombox back in those days that I had in the back of my car. My car, I had a Dodge Dart, 74 Dodge <laughs> Dart. And, uh, <laughs> and then uh, we got pulled over, and this uh, police officer was like, he was like, he's like, we're looking for two male white Negroes with a pump shotgun and a boombox. Because they saw my base, and he saw my base in the back, in the case, and the, uh, and the boombox. So, um, and then, you know, then he was like, uh, follow my finger, and he's like going <laughs> like this. Like, he's like, you're effed up, man. You, you better go home and drink some coffee. But, uh, anyway, there, that's a, uh, another story where he, he thought, he made up that story on the spot, obviously, but, um, he, you know, the, the base and the weapon thing, like people mistaking it for a weapon. So I'm like, okay, this is weapon of choice. You know, and the weapon is choice, you know, so that's why I chose to, to come up with that name. I always was curious about that and also the uh, origin of the nutmeg thing. So I'm real glad that you explained, explained that, Lonnie. Um, oh, thank you. And I got, of course, the first, uh, you know, when you got Oh, your, wow. You know. Yeah, Nutmeg says Bozo the Town. The the original Bozo just transcended. Yeah. Um, and of course, Slave Drivers on here and a lot of other great stuff. But it was such a um, diverse, you know, collection of, of grooves. Lots of guitar, lots of groove, lots of all the good stuff. You know, I was always wanting, you know, that kind of fusion, you know, because being in the Funkadelic and all that you know just the combination of rock and funk is so um primal and so just great you know i mean it just moves me you know and and so you guys came with that and uh stone gossard gave you the chance right absolutely yeah stone gossard gave me gave me the chance gave us the chance and um still that's uh you know i'm still close with stone actually uh he's putting loose groove back together again so mm -hmm. loose groove has has been um you know defunct so no pun intended so for a while that he just like he's uh he's re reviving loose groove and wow. starting it up again so i've been involved with that with, with him like since we've recorded with weapon of choice uh, for Stone Gosser's label, Loose Groove, Sony 550. And uh, the way I met Stone is I did a video of a song. It was a martial law song, Uppity Uppity Doolittle. And it was me and my brother. It was martial law on the recording, on the audio of the video. And Jeff Moore did the, vid did the video. And he was friends with a lady, Juliana, who was friends with Stone. So Stone saw the video of us with uh, doing Uppity Uppity Doolittle. That's how Stone found out about us, <laughs> is through the video. And he, he was like, what the heck? He was <laughs> like, 
And so I met with Stone like right after he saw the video and he was like, we just, we connected, you know, right away and, and just like things just started happening, you know. And, uh, we played, when we played Weapon of Choice, as Weapon of Choice, our first show, it was like, it was like already like sold out and, you know, everywhere we played was, was sold out locally. It was so cool, too, that you were able to not only do the music, but also the packaging was great on these records you did on his label, you know, with the cartoons and all the artwork. Yeah. And, you know, it was just you were really creating a whole community, really, within your music and your band, you know, kind of like P-Funk did, really. But, you know, your own thing. But it's it's great that you were afforded that opportunity Absolutely, yes. I'm I'm eternally grateful to Stone for that opportunity. He gave us artistic freedom, you know, which is what I what I wanted is freedom of the artistic artistic expression. You know, he let us do as you can hear whatever we wanted to do. You know, it wasn't like you know they weren't telling us what not to do. You know, really, um, and uh, yeah. How, so how, was, how was it, how was it for you when you first got into a, uh, a real studio? You know how how did that go down? How did you feel about it? How long did it take you to kind of get acclimated to that type of environment? Um, you mean recording my own my own music? Yeah. Um, you know, I had an older cousin too. Uh, she played she played keyboards and she was a composer also. And she lived. She lived in East LA, and I had been to her her studio. Um, and actually, it was a part of a school field trip to go to my cousin's studio. It was a home studio, but they showed us the process of recording. They had the band there. You know, this was before I started playing, so I had been in been in a studio uh, before. But when I was in the studio with Weapon of Choice, it was like. It was like a, pl a playground, you know, really. It was like, and it, it was somebody there that could, uh, you know, do the responsible part of like making sure everything is recorded and, you know, you know, taking care of that part just so we could just play and create. Because that's, that's all we did. We, were, we like wrote a lot of the, both like uh, our first two albums we wrote in the studio too from jamming. And then we just like arrange it right there. That's the way we did. We did it. We just jam. We come up. Yes, we we wrote a lot, wrote and recorded a lot of songs at the same time while we were doing that album, Hyperspice. And Stozo, uh, the great Stozo the Great. That's his new name. He <laughs> uh, he did the artwork for that. And um, yeah. Hyperspice. We recorded that with in uh, L.A. in North Hollywood, and uh, yeah, Fishbone is on there. Fish plays on there. Mary Harris is on there. Benny Maupin is on there. How would you meet meet the uh, Fishbone guys? I met Fishbone. That's a good. Uh, the question. So that, that goes back to when I was like going on auditions and stuff and figuring out 
what uh, you know what's the next what's the next thing um, so we go back there when I, I was like practicing and I'm like looking at the trades and the LA Weekly and the BAM magazine and I keep I kept hearing about Fishbone in the local trades like about this band Fishbone you know they were getting a buzz you know party at ground and zero so yeah it was before they had a record out oh the know. first thing I heard was party at ground zero yeah 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 they, yeah it was before they had a record out and uh so um I used to see them at my school too they used to come to my uh middle school but uh I heard about Fishbone I went to see them open up for Run DMC before Run DMC was popular mm. at at this uh, mix club that Ice T was the host of. Radio on uh, the radio club was, on Western. I think it was Sunset and Western. I used to go there. In fact, I it, de I DJ there. I think that was on Friday night, and I was DJing on Saturday. It was called the TV Club. Yeah, yeah, and the uh, this well, this was on Sunset. And uh, the mix, uh, the radio, uh, what was the other one? The radio, the radio. John, that I see. Yeah, well, he did, uh, Ice-T did uh, this other one, too. He was a host of this one, too, I think, where Run DMC played, and Fishbone opened up for him, so I saw Fishbone. And then I, uh, you know, that was amazing. And then I saw this uh, ad that this uh that animal dance is playing this band called animal dance is playing and they're playing with two members of of fish they're playing with members of fishbone like which was norwood and fish was playing with this band animal dance too so i went to see them play you know and so i you know i saw animal dance and then i heard that uh i saw that animal dance was looking for a bass player because it was when fishbone got signed you know what i'm saying does that make sense so far? Yeah, I'm with okay. you. Okay, okay, cool. So uh, yeah, so I went to the audition to get for a bass player for Animal Dance, you know, and Norwood and Fish were there, but I had to learn Norwood's parts, you know, for the, which which was a challenge too to uh, learn his parts. But I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I got to get this, you know, I got to get this, I got to get this thing down. And there were a lot of bass players there, you know, auditioning. And um, I went in and played. I played with Fish, you know. And uh, I got the gig, basically. And, I, you know, I met Norwood and Fish. And, and you know, soon after that, um, Norwood asked me to, uh, he, like, he asked me to be in uh, Trulio Disgracious. But when you first met him, that was probably like what, like 1982. Whenever they got signed, when was that? What year was that? Well, I think they got signed a year or two after that. But I was thinking, okay, yeah, yeah, well, whatever you think, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was around that. <laughs> it was around that time, and um, yeah, then he asked me to be in Trulio Disgracious. Um, you know, so. And I've been, you know, I've been friends with Norwood ever since I met him, you know. And uh, actually, Nutmeg, the Nutmeg music concept came from a song that we we did at a Trulio Disgracious rehearsal, where Billy Bass was playing bass, Greg Bell was playing guitar, and Fish was on drums, and they were playing a groove 
that sounded like it was saying, you see that? Yeah, nutmeg. Yeah, it sounded like it was saying that. It, it was sound it, because the groove was like don't 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 So I was like nutmeg. Norwood went to went to go to the liquor store. <laughs> he went to go somewhere, you know. He, so Norwood left, and you know when uh, the band was jamming, and I, you know, I was like, this sounds like nutmeg, filthy nutmeg. Beat off the beat, nutmeg, filthy nutmeg. Beat off the beat, nutmeg. <laughs> but the nutmeg thing—it was a, it, that's always been a funny word to me. But that's where the first time it was in a song was that was that song, and that's when uh, you know I, uh, uh, me and Norwood really started playing around with the nutmeg concept. You know what I mean? And and so, you know that's what happened with that. The music spoke to me, but I was always like, what is the nutmeg thing? I don't know. It's it's quirky. It's funny. But I'm not sure what it is. Uh, it didn't matter. It didn't matter, you know. But uh, yeah. <laughs> it's cool to hear where it, its origin. Um, oh, thank you. Know, you. I, I, want, oh, I was just... Go, go, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say uh, about... Well, just going back to uh, Animal Dance before I uh, forget... Animal Dance, and I was playing with Animal Dance, so that's how I met Norwood and Fish. And while I was playing an Animal Dance, I met Steve Huffstetter, who did the Repo Man soundtrack. Have you seen Repo Man, yeah. the movie? Yeah, Emilio Estevez, yeah. Emilio Estevez, and he did the uh, the guitar stuff on, um, he, did a, he did the soundtrack to uh, Repo Man, Steve Huffstetter, and his... Uh, his partner was Zan Cassavetes. You heard of John Cassavetes? Yeah. The film, uh, independent film pioneer. Yeah. The, gr the great. Yeah. Uh, so he, his daughter was the vocalist, and Steve was the guitar player for this band that they wanted me in. That when they saw me play with Animal Dance, you know what I'm saying? So like they took me, they took me out to eat, and then they took me up the hill to Mulholland, and I'm like, I get out, I'm up in the hill in their, their house, their big house, and uh, I'm seeing like Peter Falk, Columbo, I see like Sean Penn, and that was Christopher that Walken. The Cassavetti Circle. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, yeah, Ben Gazzara, and uh, you know, all these all these people, like, I was like, what, where, where am I? John Cassavetti's. But uh, they actually gave me gave me this bass for playing with them, you know. That's where I got this bass from. Wow. Yeah. So I just wanted to. Uh, That's a trip, go man. Of I I know all those people, but I never heard of that group though. Jenna Rollins was his uh, was her Zan's mom. Is Zan's mom? Yeah. So I was like around those pe those people a lot, you know, and uh, I began to play with with them. And then I began to play at this club called Smoky Hose that I, I mentioned to you. Uh, yeah. And I'm, so I'm playing at the Smoky Hose, and we would play, the band would play with the DJ, and people would be dancing and smoking and doing whatever. It was after hours. It was like everybody came, actors, you know, musicians, everybody. And um, we'd be playing with the DJ, and people would be dancing, and, and we'd stop, and the DJ would keep going, 
and then we play, and then the DJ would stop, and we keep going, but the people would be dancing the whole whole time. But the band that I was playing with, they were Joe Strummer's band from the Clash, and that was that was like my that was my favorite group. I was like, whoa, uh, the Clash! You guys play with the Cl uh, Joe Strummer, and they're like, yeah, we want you in the band. <laughs> we want you in the band too. <laughs> so they they had a bass player though. They got me in the band, Joe Strummer's band, so I could record his first solo record, Earthquake Wet Weather. So I recorded Joe Strummer from The Clash's first solo record. Wow, that's something after you were a fan, you know? Yeah, yeah, like all of this is happening after I'm a, I'm a fan, you know? So I'm seeing like, so I'm gonna always go back to every, everything that I ever have that I have has come from play as like however that sounds that's the reality of it in my perspective has come from play you know even like playful interaction which is a conversation like we're in a form of play right now you know um, so uh, but yeah I got to play with Joe Strummer I was like amazing and I had like I had all of these people on my wall, you know, growing up, and I got a chance to be in close proximity with them and, like, play with them, you know, like, it was amazing. It was, like, to me, is was uh, beyond unreal. <laughs> and, and, well, that brings to mind, too, that, you know, eventually you got to work with George Clinton, too, after, you know, all those yeah. years. Yes, absolutely, yeah. And when I was with... Uh, when I was with boot camp, I was like, I was young, so I wasn't really in their their circle. They were off doing their doing their thing, and we were running around, you know. Um, but uh, when we were on Sony 550, George was on Sony 550 too, George Clinton. So uh, that's where I that's where I um, became um, related to George more, you know. And I, I. Um, I drove them. I, I uh, drove them around, you know, at uh, what festival was that? I think it was Lollapalooza or something. I drove, I drove the band around, you know, to the hotel and to the, the next venue and stuff like that. So, you know, I got to know George like that. But when we were on uh, um, five Sony five fifty, we did a we did a, a compilation. Uh, it was a tribute to to George Clinton and P-Funk, and we did a song called Color Me Funky. We covered that one. That was the only cover song that Weapon of Choice did. And and uh, George liked that, the Color Me Funky. Was for a while, you know, when, I, when I'd see him, he, he would just, he would say, Color Me Funky. <laughs> that's from Glory <laughs> Hollow Stupid, right? Yeah, that's from, uh, wait a minute, is that from Glory? The Parliament Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah, it is. And we did a version of it, too. Yeah. Yeah, we did a version of that. But yeah, I got to tell you, yeah. I'm like, when me and George are, uh, when we, when I, I see George, we play with words a lot, you know? We got a lot of word, word play jokes, you know? Yeah. And, and we just go on and on. Like, I imagine. One, <laughs> one time I, I was in the studio with, I was in the studio with him in Hollywood. And we're playing on the word shift, you know, shape shifting and, you know. He did that paradigm song about that, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I said, I said, 
he, he said shape shifting and the shape of shifts to come and and I said brother can you paradigm I said that to him and then he he said brother can you he's like he was laughing and repeated brother can you paradigm you know he said that I didn't think nothing of it but the next time I saw him like uh, um, this was like about a month later at the studio he came he's like oh I want to show you something and he went and got a boombox and he played that, bro that brother can you paradigm with Prince singing and playing on it and I was like what that was like yeah that was beyond invaluable you know too like I didn't get credited for, for anything but you know I've been given so much by both of those entities you know and it's invaluable to you know it was beyond beyond unreal for me so I, lo I love that track but it took a while to finally get out to you know on a record get it out on record yeah that track it was in the uh -huh. can for quite a while before it finally came out but i had heard it like as a bootleg before it came out and uh glad it finally did come out yeah that's a great track yeah that's an awesome track and um that uh we i did a whole i did a whole record i did a bunch of stuff with george that got uh that i don't know what happened happened to it I don't know what I think it was on Mammoth or something label, but it, I don't think it ever came out. But I did a lot of stuff. I've heard yeah. there's so much good stuff that was done on Mammoth with P Funk, and you know who knows where it's at now. Yeah, it was some great stuff. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I'm like always like I feel like a playful uh, kinship with with George. You know, it's like. He's like so play. He's so playful. It's like when you when you're in the presence of a baby. It's that for me. It's that feeling. But like a baby has has the most wisdom though. Also, so it doesn't mean they're like childish or anything or immature or any of those connotations. It's just like the wisdom of uh, play being. You know, and just open to whatever. Yeah, open and present too, present to others and present for others, you know. So I like always I always learn a lot. It's, he's a huge inspiration. He's a part of me, part of everything that I do. I was gonna make a comment, Lonnie, about your, you know, uh propensity for wordplay, you know, throughout all of your material. <laughs> and uh it did definitely make me think of George, um, because he's such a master at it. And you know, where did that come from? Do you think? How did you become that way? You know, I just found out recently where it came from. You know, because somebody asked me to, and I wasn't even aware of it. It was like any any word or any name. You know, I could think of metaphorical uh, ways to say it, and you know, different ways to say it, different meanings just automatically you know my mind does that you know I, I can do that um, well it's uh it's fascinating to me but you know I, I did a when I was in middle school I did a, a test where you had to write sentences for like 75 words you had to write sentences for the for each word and I wrote like for example if the word was irony I wrote in my spare time I enjoy reading irony man comics Mm. you know and every word was was a metaphor and so 
I turned it in to my teacher, and she she almost ripped the page, giving me an F. You know, she didn't she didn't appreciate it at all. You know, she was like F. You know, this ain't funny. <laughs> F, and I don't mean funny. <laughs> or funky, yeah. Or funky. <laughs> it's more funky than it is funny, though. Yeah. But yeah, so I think that's where I, that's where it came from. I later traced the <laughs> the moment, you know, the impactful moment that like uh, you know caused me to uh, feel you know feel that the need to uh, want to play with words so much and just flip them around so much, and also. Because I think at an early age, I saw the absurdity in words, too, you know, that didn't make sense, you know. It was like, I remember, like, as early as learning C-spot run, I'm like, what? Are you trying to C-spot run? Is that all there is to it? C-spot run? There's got to be more to it than that. <laughs> Reading between the lines that? of the kindergartner reader. <laughs> Yeah, I, I want to know more than that. Like, tell them, can you, get, can you go a little bit deeper than that? <laughs> Then C spot run, you know. So yeah, I've always like seen like uh, like inconsistency in the in the words, how they can be used, you know, favorable for one thing and unfavorable towards another th another thing, you know. But using the exact same word, you know. Yeah. So I, I I saw the absurdity, you know. That's a that's a big word, you know, for me. That's a big driving, you know. Uh, um, you know, force for me is absurdity. It's like just embracing the absurdity of it all. You know, and like with, if I can, if I can embrace the abs absurdity, then I can make something beautiful if I say so out of it. Oh, well, the nature of life is kind of absurd, you know, if you think about it. So, yeah, it's very absurd, and and uh, you know, people. We're we're conditioned to want to make to uh, control it and, and think it can be controlled, but it really is chaos. So it's, that's the nature of the universe is is chaos. Is nothing is static. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. You know, um, I wanted to mention some other acts and groups that, to me, I hear in your music that you haven't mentioned, just to see if I'm on the right track. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but <clears throat> excuse me you know i think of um i hear cameo and i hear um uh, primus zappa um you know and of course <clears throat> man i got a um juni yeah <laughs> you know yes yeah juni is a Junie is a mentor. I had, had the opportunity to to speak to Junie on the phone for <clears throat> like long periods of time, you know. Really? And yeah, he was like amazingly beautiful human, you know, and just so balanced and so in tune for others, you know. This is uh, his presence, even over the phone, was like a tuning, de a powerful tuning device that could tune me up and balance me. No matter what I was feeling, whatever chaos I was reacting to, you know, he's balancing. You know, he was like really, uh, really helpful. I, you know, I started talking him to him. He was giving me some coaching on the youth, on youth, as I teach music and art to youth. 
So he was like really, you know, encouraging that and, um, you know, giving me, giving me coaching in that, that area. But he's an amazing, yeah, he's an amazing influence. I'm definitely influenced by Junie Morrison, <laughs> for sure. From Ohio players to Funkadelic to his solo stuff and, you know, and him as a, as a human, human being, you know, um, he's powerful and, you know, just his, this way, these, all these people are magicians. Like, I look at them as sorcerers, you know, like really, you know, like, like the wizard of the yeah. Yeah, Pretty that's what real. they are. You know, it's not like talked about or looked at as like that, but that's what it is, you know. And I think a lot of what the uh, what is actually funk came from that too, like the ceremonial aspect that is healing to people and is celebratory of people, like to of from like voodoo and um, you know just tribal tribal. It's always been ceremonial, like uh, groove dance, party, community, celebration, you know. And oneness, yeah. Oneness, exactly. Yeah, so like Junie, and um, you said, you mentioned uh, you mentioned uh, Primus. Yeah, I played on Les Claypool's first solo album as well, mm. too. So I'm friends with, with Les Claypool also. And like whenever they would come to L.A., I would sit in with, with them. And uh, he let, I, I actually, uh, one of the youth that I, I taught, he, I invented an instrument out of all recycled material called the rubber box. I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> yeah. It's a decorated cardboard played with rubber bands and it's amplified using contact mics. So I figured this out through teaching what they call at-risk youth in LA, like from South Central, Watts, Compton, East LA, all areas of LA, teaching at-risk youth um, art for a project that they would present at the House of Blues. So um, I had to come up with a project, and I was, you know, I was inspired by like, uh, you know, Robert Johnson, and just resourcefulness of people who would put a nail in their shack back in the early days, you know, the blues pioneers, and a, and run a fishing wire on it and make an instrument out of it. Or yeah, use glass boat. bottles and whatever was around. Exactly. Yeah, so I was inspired by that. Because um, the, uh, oh, the, uh, yeah, because the, um, the theme of the, it was for the Heart Project, which is now Artworks <laughs> L.A., um, and the theme of that that class that I was teaching was inspired by the blues. So that's why I was inspired by the blues, like people that could be, could be resourceful and make something out of nothing without pushing panic buttons, so to speak. So I was like looking for a project for the youth, you know, and I was in a 99 cent store and I saw a colorful bag of rubber bands and I, was, I just got the rubber bands and I started experimenting with them. I was like, wow, this makes a cool sound, you know. <laughs> Each rubber band has a different sound. And then I was like putting them on different uh, like styrofoam cups, Dixie cups, experiment Kleenex box, cereal box and stuff. But then, you know, I got my, um, yeah, my rubber box. It's in, the, it's in a video I actually did with, with George Clinton, yeah, Primitive right. Futuristic. Yeah, and, and that's on Mega Nuts Walk Party, also that EP, 
and that's all rubber box instruments. So that's what it sounds like. It makes bass sounds that the bass, my bass can't make, or no keyboard can make. It makes drum sound that no drums can make. How did and, George? How, how did George react to that initially? Oh, he loved it. He was he was really into it. You can see him. He's in the video. He's playing it. He was like he was loving playing them too. But uh, yeah, he was uh, he was tripping out. Yeah, uh, one of the like most yeah <laughs> so he was tripping out on it um but he really dug it and that song pre-primitive futuristic so i uh, i invented you know i created this rubber box and um the youth from all these areas you know uh, of south of la south central compton all these areas they got to present their own artwork on their instrument and play also at the House of Blues, which isn't here anymore. They got to play at House of Blues, Grammy Museum, uh, Hammer Museum, Getty Villa, um, all you know, a lot of like really uh, a lot of great museums. And uh, one one of my uh, uh, youth groups was called the Little Big Ups, and, and one of my youth was a MC. He used to rap about. Our theme was life cycles and recycle, recycling the cycles of life. Mm -hmm. And he used to rap about recycling and stuff. He was eight years old. <laughs> and, me, and just me with the rubber box and him opened up for Primus in L.A. So uh, that, that, was, that, was a big, uh, that was a big joy. Yeah, that must be fulfilling, you know, to do that. That's great. Good for you, yes. man. Good for you giving awesome. back like that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm grateful. I I get, I get. Yeah, it, it like all. It goes like a like a cycle. You know, it's like the more I give, the more I get. You know, the more I withhold, the more I, you know, the more I get with withheld from, or you know, or the least the less access to relatedness. Hey, Lonnie, if it's cool with you, I, I, I wanted to like share with you some of my favorite tracks off of those records and just see if you have any particular memory or if it's among your favorites too or, you know, is that yes. cool? That's, uh, that's absolutely cool. So on that first record, uh, Slave Driver, of course, um, You Owe It To You. Mm-hmm. Love that. And, I Is is funk aroma? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yours to you though. That one was done live. Uh, no, I wasn't done live. Um, it was uh, it was done in the studio, and uh, that was done in Seattle. We recorded our first record for Stone Gossard's label, Loose Groove, in Seattle, at Bad Animal Bad Animal Studio, which was you, you heard of Heart. The, the, yeah, the, that was their studio, Heart, and um, a lot of like the the what they call the, the Seattle bands at the time were recording there. So we saw Soundgarden and um, uh, Alice in Chains and um, oh, the big rock scene. Yeah, a lot of the band those bands were coming in there all the time because that was like kind of the epicenter of it. And we recorded our first album there, and that's where we recorded "You Owe to You." 
Yeah, and you you know something funny about you owe it to you. I don't know if you know, but you know those movies. Uh, they're they're kind of like campy horror movies called "I Always Know What You Did Last Summer." Right. Yeah. Yeah, that the song is in one of those movies. A, a band is pretending like they're playing it <laughs> in their bedroom. But yeah, the song "You Owe It to You" is in in that movie. <laughs> the the second half of that first album to me seems like you got a little more into like the P funk kind of vibe compared to like the first half. The first half seemed more rockier, and the second half was a little more P funky. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, um, I'm influenced by both, like both of them. Like to me, anything anything rocking is funky, and anything funky is rocking to me. So like, yeah, it's, uh, I you know I mean I think of like there's so many like uh, Led Zeppelin. They're considered rock, but they're, they're funky. funky. Yeah, you know they're funky. There's a lot of things like it's a it's a matter of interpretation too. Because like even if within certain categories people have their own perspective you know as yeah. usual um but yeah you owe it to you yeah that was one of the first songs i wrote too i wrote that uh, for martial law as well when we were we were doing we would do that song with martial law you owe it to you yeah and then a hyperspice i was grooving the most to um uh, Count Macula, Spade, I Like Your Body, and um, hi the title track, Hyperspice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, that was a fun, fun album with Matt Wallace. He produced, uh, what was that band that did, uh, that Mr. Bungle, uh, but the band before them, Mr. Oh, Bungle um, and... Uh, fate, f fate, no, yeah. fate, no more. Yeah, faith, no more. Got it. <laughs> yeah, he, he, was, he, <laughs> he got it. That he was his produ their producer, and so we produced that with, with him, and that was that was awesome. Um, that was really, really a lot of fun, recording that album, and uh, Fish recorded on that album with us. He recorded that song. Um, Count Maculove with us. You really got your that the walking bass going on in that one. Yeah, we put that together in the studio. We, we uh, created that in the studio, that song. And we also created uh, uh, N-Word in the studio. That's on there. And uh, something else. But yeah, we used to do that just... Uh, just jam and arrange arrange it and then record it and then uh put the vocals on later you know what i mean do you put when you do your vocals do you prefer kind of being by yourself or you know how do you typically do your your vocals because i mean you get real creative with it yeah um i could be uh either either way you know i like I get inspired when there's people there, you know, and I get into a certain zone when I'm by myself, too. Like, recently I've been recording, since April Fool's, I've been put, I was putting out a song, I'm writing a song and putting out a song every week till June, and like all together I put out 16 songs this this year, so 
that's where my focus I keep going back to play is the magical realm you know so I keep on focusing on play no matter even though it's ironic that it's 2020 and that's has to do to me with vision a clear vision you know 2020 vision yeah. and it's been nothing nothing but distractions this year so yeah. I, I, I don't think that's by coincidence you know so I think like it's our as creative and artists is our um, you know it's our um, space to uh, stay in the play zone that's where our space is that's where that's the space that I'm focused focus on is the play and create zone. Yeah. That's that's what I've been hoping is going to come out of this whole thing is you know that the creative people are going to be you know on their own and coming up with some great stuff you know I mean because why not you know you got some time to, to focus and zero in and have hopefully fewer distractions and you know. Do what yeah, you do. That's exactly what I've been been doing, you know, and inspired by, um, you know, the present, the past, and the future. Inspired by all all of it at, at this moment, you know, and um, you know, just focusing on what I can add to uh, to cause to create some kind of resolution. It's, it's always like. How does this resolve? You know, how does the song, how's the song going to end? Or it doesn't have to end, but you know, when you're playing it live, it's a resolution. You know, so that's what what I'm looking for in a song is some kind of resolution for others. You know. Thank <laughs> you.